me play hard and sing hard is not the right word, but uh, you know what? I love it. It's good stuff, and I thank the Lord. Open up your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 12. Open up your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 12. While you're turning there, <clears throat> let me remind you that we have Sunday evening services at 6.30 p.m. It's a good time, a little less formal, quite less formal. Not that we're real formal on Sunday mornings, but uh, anyway, it's a good time, and we can unpack scriptures a little more. Uh, tonight, you're going to hear a, one of our choirs sing, not our main choir, but uh, uh, our Calvary's Love Choir is going to sing a few songs, and then I'm going to speak, and uh, so it'll be good. Then Wednesday nights at 7 o'clock, well, we have a supper following that. You can come hang out for a few bucks, get an affordable meal. We have children's programs, and then uh, come in here, and, and I'm teaching through very methodically the gospel according to John. So it's a good way on Wednesday nights to come in, get your battery charged, and uh, remember the mission that we're on for Christ. Now, I'm excited, man. This church is fired up, and it's great to be a part of a fired-up church. Wasn't it amazing the way God blessed homecoming last week? I mean, every, uh, amen, give the Lord a hand, because every prognosticator and weather forecaster within 200 miles was saying we were going to get drowned, and, uh, you know, calling for hail and all kind of stuff, and uh, really the Lord blessed us, gave us great, great weather. I'm honestly glad that we're not gathering as clear as it is. I'm glad we're not gathering under a tent today. I'd be dying. And, uh, you know, that heat, boy, I tell you, it's really something. But I, really, everybody serves so well. I hope you got to see the items from the history of Calvary Baptist. If you didn't, don't worry. We, we've saved those. We're going to put them on display somehow, probably put them in a large book or something that might be two or three or four volumes. Uh, but we've been compiling all that stuff. As I would find things and put them together and other folks giving me help on it, uh, then uh, one special lady put it together. But so many of you worked hard. You really did, and I'm, I'm thankful for you. And that's kind of what our church is, is marked by, a bunch of people who love one another. First of all, they love Jesus. We love God. We love others. And then we go out and spread the word. And we really believe that God has called us to take the good news of Jesus to this entire community and to the uttermost parts of the world. We're not ashamed of that. We're not embarrassed by that in the least way. In fact, we're excited about it. Because it's, it's life with a purpose. It, it gives our life meaning. At the end of a day, we can lay down our heads and, uh, and say, God, how awesome it is to uh, live a life that's not going to just grind down into the grave. And so I'm thankful. Another thing that I'm developing is this class right here called Connect Four. We'll explain more about those later, but this is our new members uh, booklet. And so I wanted to uh, remind you of our new members class that is, I think, June 27th at 6.30 p.m. Now, we're not going to meet here. We're going to meet up at the new property on the offices. It'll be a smaller, little intimate setting there. And uh, we'll have some snacks and drinks, and we'll have a good time. I'll get to know you better. If you've joined recently, you ought to take it. In fact, everybody ought to take it. Now, if 80 people show up, I'm going to be in trouble. But it's really going to be a great class. It's going to explain what we believe, who we are, what our vision is, God's vision for our church, where we're going, how you can be a part of that. And then it'll lead right into our next class. Uh, there are about four basic classes that every member of Calvary ought to take. And uh, so anyway, go ahead and uh, just remember to put that on your calendar. If you've joined in the last month or so and you haven't taken this class, 
It is a prerequisite for membership, so please come, and uh, you will be uh, treated with honor. We'll be glad to have you. You'll learn a lot about us and where we'll, we're going. Now, let me ask you a question. <clears throat> have you ever noticed in life, if, and it's just a rhetorical question, because if you've lived any length of time, you have, but have you ever noticed that trials and tribulations and challenges are a part of normal life? I mean, at what point did you think life was going to smooth out? I really figured it would when I was a kid. I figured I'd get to be 35, 40, 50 years old, somewhere around there, and have enough money that I could live at least comfortably, pay the bills and not have to worry about, you know, things. I, that people wouldn't act stupid around me. Excuse me, I probably shouldn't use that word, shouldn't act dumb around me or whatever uh i think that's heaven <laughs> that we're describing enough money you got everything you need people are acting smart that maybe that's better to put in a positive but you know really trials are a normal part of life they really are i prayed about what i should speak to you today i want to share my heart and here's what's happening guys when we think that things are going to get better about the time we get an extra paycheck on a fifth Sunday or something, we think things are going to get better. Things seem to be turning a corner and going your way. Then what happens? The bottom falls out, doesn't it? Something else hits you. Another friend disappoints you. Tragedy, another one strikes. Someone dies. Some things are very difficult to get through if we ever can. It reminds me of an elderly woman who went to court. <clears throat> she was arrested for shoplifting. And the judge looked at her, and he couldn't believe this elderly, dignified lady was, you know, shoplifting. He said, ma'am, what, what did you steal? She said, a can of peaches. He said, why in the world would you steal a can of peaches at your age? She said, well, I, I got to the store. I was hungry, and I didn't bring any money with me, and uh, so I stole them. The judge said, how many peaches were in that can? She said, nine peaches. And he said, well, I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you nine days in jail, one for each peach. And just as about he, was, he was about to drop the gavel and close the court, that woman's husband raised his hand. He said, your honor? And the judge said, yes, sir. What do you have, dad? He said, she stole a can of peas, too. <laughs> so, you know, when you think it's bad, it, it's going to get worse. Some of you are just getting that. That's one of those delayed laughs as it goes through the crowd. But when you, when you really, when you really do go through one thing and then another thing and another thing, real stuff, I'm talking about the tragedies of life. It's nothing to joke about, honestly, is it? It gets very hard. And we all know what it's like to have our hearts broken. We really do. Most of us do. Most of us know what it's like to experience immense pain when we're losing someone that we love that's been there for us. We, we, a lot of us know the fear of not knowing how we're in the world, we're going to make it, how we really are going to pay this bill or that bill, what the future might hold when a situation leaves us abandoned or, or dumped or whatever. When outright tragedy happens, where do you go? I mean, really, really, it feels very lonely. What do you do? We're going to look at two different passages today in the Bible that are going to help you. I'm going to help you in a very, very practical way. Here's why. Because, see, every single one of us, whether we're young and just graduating, whether we're, we're old, 
you are either, I promise you, and this is not to discourage you. I want, I, my goal, a lot of, my number one goal is to always preach the gospel of Christ. Number two, I want you to be encouraged when you come to church. I just figure nobody got up this morning and said, you know, I'm going to go to church today because I just want the pastor to kick the heck out of me. I just need to be discouraged. You know, I need somebody to grade on me. So my, my number two goal is to, to give you truth from God's word in like an affirming, positive, encouraging way. I want you to leave here really encouraged. But here's the truth that every single one of us, somebody has said, we're either getting ready to go into a trial, we're either in a trial, or we're coming out of a trial. And if you're coming out of a trial, guess what you're getting ready to do? Go back into one. You really are. So we've got to learn how to deal with it. See, none of us are immune. So if you've got your Bibles open to Hebrews chapter 12, what's going to happen is God's Word is going to give us clear instruction on how to respond to difficult times, real tragedies, life-altering tragedies. Look at Hebrews chapter 12. We'll read a few verses here, and then in a moment we're going to go over to Luke 13. So the apostle is writing to these Hebrew Christians, and he's given them real instructions. This, this is not just Bible words. This is, this is real instructions. These are real instructions to real people. Therefore, <clears throat> strengthen the hands which hang down. And the feeble knees. The, the ideas of someone, look at me, their hands are just hanging down. Their knees are just literally weak. Make straight paths for your feet. So that what is lame may not be dislocated, but rather be healed. Pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one shall see the Lord. Here's the verse that we'll concentrate on a little while. Looking carefully, underline that phrase, looking carefully, lest anyone, now he's writing to the church, looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. And so, a lot of times we don't understand why bad things happen to sometimes what seem like to be very good people, including ourselves. Let me just lay down this premise, though. Please understand the Bible does not teach that this is a perfect world. The Bible does not teach that this world is where you get what you deserve. The Bible teaches that because sin entered into this world generations ago, what happens is people do wrong things. And as a result, sometimes innocent people, many times, innocent people suffer. I don't mean innocent in the sense that they've never sinned before God, but this, that their direct sin didn't directly cause this thing that happened to them. The Bible is brutally honest about this, that sometimes bad things happen to innocent people. Very clear, the Bible is, that in this life we don't always, in fact, very seldom times do we get what we deserve. So as to tragedies, things that are difficult to understand, there's usually two mistakes just quickly that everybody makes. Number one is to think that all the good things that happen to me prove that, that I'm good. You know, I'm doing good because, look, God is pleased with me and blessing me. You turn on the TV, preachers, this is exactly what you're going to hear. I'm supposed to be rich. I'm supposed to be living in this house and driving this car. Second mistake we make it's not to think that all the good things that happen to me prove that I'm good, which it doesn't. 
Number two is to think that all the bad things that are happening to me, especially when you're going through a series of bad, tough times, means that I'm bad, that God is punishing me. And listen, that's just wrong. That's just dead wrong. In fact, turn with me now to Luke chapter 13, and we'll look very quickly at a passage where Jesus addresses this head on. And he's talking about two tragedies that happened in his day, and he explains some things about disasters and troubles and trials, real troublesome things. In Luke chapter 13, I'm always amazed at this passage, Luke chapter 13, verse 1. There were present at that season or time some who told him, they're telling him the story, it's something that had happened about these Galileans whose blood, Pilate, Pilate was the Roman governor, he had mingled with their sacrifices. There were people there that were trying to worship God, they were doing good, and Pilate sent soldiers into the temple and killed them, so that so much so that the sacrifices they were offering were mixed up, their blood ran among them. And they're saying, hey, if, if, if this is, you know, if God is just, if God's a loving God, how could this happen? They were worshiping God, and they got killed right there. Their blood ran out. They, were put, they had their sacrifices right there on the altar. Look at verse 2, Jesus answered and said, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than other Galileans because they suffered such things? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you shall all likewise, likewise perish. And then he tells a story. Those 18, of evidently 18 people, on whom a tower in Siloam fell. This must have been a recent in, uh, incident because they would have believed they would have known about it. This tower falls, kills eighteen people. He says, and killed them. Do you do you think that they were worse sinners than all the others and who dwelt in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. That's what he's saying. He's saying there's not. It's not like these people were doing so much wrong that God said, finally, I'm going to get you. It's not that. It's not that at all. What he was saying was that sometimes innocent people or people suffer innocently, and here's why. Let me just give you this as a preface. We live in a world where God created us to have free will, free choice. And sometimes people choose to do bad things. Sometimes people choose to build buildings that aren't up to code. Sometimes people choose to do things. And what it does is, in a world with free will, then people can make mistakes. People can sin. And so you have to understand that not everything that happens in this world today is God's will. It is not. People make their own choices. We make ours, and sometimes those choices are evil. I remember right after 9-11, right after I had a guest speaker at our church in Huntersville, and he stated out loud, and I could have killed him, and I addressed it with him strongly. But he said uh, that the attacks on 9-11 on were a judgment sent from God. That God caused them. God causes everything to happen, he says, for America's sin. It made me so mad. I tell you, when I hear stuff like that, and I hear people say something like that, there's a spiritual term for that. Baloney. <laughs> I mean, it makes me want to puke. I mean, if you can say puke in church, I don't know, can you? But, you know, it's just not true. Don't blame God. 
for these horrific acts of evil, uh, evil, for bombings. Don't blame God for rape. Don't blame God for murder, child abuse, and these horrible tragedies. That's man's fault. God sees bombings and rape and murder and child abuse, and he grieves, the Bible says. In fact, God, God hates it so much he sent his own son to die on a cross as the solution for evil. God hates those things. He's opposed to those things. But you've got to understand that God's will is not always done on earth. And I'll prove it to you if any of you are from a Presbyterian background. Hmm. Now I'm joking. All right, don't get upset. might be the first time I'm cutting up. 2 Peter 3.9 says this. This verse says, God is not willing that any should perish. Did you get it? God is not willing that any should perish. But what is God's will? That all might come to repentance. You got it? All right, let me ask you a question. Do all repent? No. Do some perish? Yes. Why? It's because God doesn't always force His will on humanity. In fact, He doesn't typically do that. He wants and He desires for all people to be saved, but not all people choose to be saved. You got it? Now, that's exactly why the Lord Jesus Christ himself told us to pray. Uh, he told us to pray these words, Thy kingdom come. You're praying to the Lord Jesus. Your kingdom come. Now, when is that? That's future, right? You're praying, Lord, may the day be when your kingdom will come. Thy what? Will be done, that is, here on earth. Thy will be done on earth as it what? is right now done in heaven where is God's will always done in heaven absolutely where's God's will not always done on earth because because God created us with a free will and men do evil and women do evil and so every time we pray that what we're praying that Lord Jesus Christ taught us is may the day come when your desire will be done instantaneously on earth as it is done instantaneously in heaven right now. And why do we pray that? Because it's not always being done now. If God's will was always being done, Jesus would have never told us to pray that the day would come when his will would be done here, as it is done in heaven. So first, just understand that, that we live in a fallen, sinful world. And many times bad things happen to people who aren't even outwardly responsible for it. Now let me give you four four reasons and principles excuse me take these home study them this week four ways to respond when real tragedy comes into your life because it's coming if you'll prepare ahead of time you'll be a lot better off number one when something really tragic happens i have to learn to express grief you have to you simply cannot hold in grief you simply it will destroy you when you go through a tragedy which is inevitably going to happen important first step is to learn to express grief you know, when a major tragedy comes in, somebody you love dies or something major happens, it always creates incredibly strong emotions. You'll be overwhelmed. I mean, even today, if I watch a video of 9-11, of those towers being destroyed, do I still feel emotions? Oh, yeah, heck yeah. Anger, rage, disgust, sorrow, bewilderment. And the challenge is that often when those strong emotions come in, we don't really know what to do with them. 
we, we don't know what to do with them. So, so we get overwhelmed by anger, overwhelmed by sorrow. And if you don't deal with those emotions properly, see, then your recovery from that crisis, that trauma, takes a whole lot longer than it should. If you just stuff it down. That's what a lot of us do. Some people are just stuffers, especially Christians. We have emotions. We don't know how to handle it, so, so we deny them. We ignore them. We, we push them down. In fact, a lot of people use God as a reason for stuffing down their emotions. You know why? Because we think Christians shouldn't be sad. Christians shouldn't, you know, we, we, Christian, God wants everybody to be happy all the time. And that's just not true. Life isn't always happy. Some of you will just be glad to know that God doesn't expect you to go around with a goofy grin on your face all the time. Tire goes flat. God doesn't expect you to say, praise the Lord for a flat tire. You know, you may say it. That's cool. But I, God doesn't expect you to. I love Jesus, what he says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 4 in the Beatitudes. Blessed, which means what? Happy. Blessed are they that mourn. I always read that and I thought, now wait a minute. Happy are they who mourn. Mourn means to grieve. It means to let it out. You're mourning. That's a deep word, isn't it? If you think about it, I'm in mourning. Blessed are they who mourn. You know why? Why they'll be happy? Jesus says because they will be comforted. Grieving and mourning within limits helps you to experience something that is just hard to explain, but it really does work to help you experience forgiveness and comfort and whatever you need it's okay it's okay to grieve within limits and and you have to face your feelings you don't repress them push them down you don't rehearse them repeat it over and over and over in your mind you just release them you tell God you get on your face and you tell God exactly how you feel and if you're mad at him it's okay to do that too he listens to your hurts as a good father would and he comforts you and he relieves you of some of the pain. I love this verse. The Lord is nigh unto them, near them that are of a broken heart. You want to get close to God? Get a broken heart. The Lord is near to those who are of a broken heart. And he saves such who are of a crushed spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Now listen, grieving is part of life. So the first thing you got to do is express your grief because if you don't, those feelings just pile up and pile up and I'm telling you, they're going to come out one form or another. So you express your grief to God, write it down. Number two, you have to get help from others. You just have to get help from others. This is one of the primary reasons that the church exists. It really is. Galatians 6.2 says this, instructions to church members, bear one another's burdens. You see that? Bear one another's burdens and fulfill the law of Christ. It is a, here's what we want to do though. When we hurt, I keep looking at one of my buddies out there because I know he knows these principles. What do people want to do? They don't want to get with a the crowd. They go through a tough time. What do they want to do? They want to isolate, don't they, Danny? He wants to run off. Get, I do too. You do too. We all do. We want to, you know what? Nobody bother me. And that's not a good place to be. Now there's a time for quiet time, but not when you're isolating yourself. You see, that's what we usually want to do, to get all by ourselves. Nobody understands my problem. Nobody's going through my trials. But you need other people in a time of testing. Listen to me. You need their perspective. 
their insight. You need their support, their strength. You need their encouragement. Amen? You need their prayers, and you need their presence. You really do. And that's why it's so important that you, if you've started attending Calvary or if you've been attending Calvary, to get involved in a good Sunday school class. I know we call it like Sunday school. It may sound like something for kids. No, no, no. It's for everyone. It's an age-graded Sunday school. It's something from, from birth, from the womb to the tomb, to be kind of ridiculous. Some for every group. Because you need it, and I need it, and we need each other. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15, we read it. I talked about it and slowed down on it. Looking carefully amongst you, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God. And he's talking about looking carefully, looking carefully after one another. That's the whole context there. That's what Sunday school classes do. They care for one another as the family of God. You see, to make it through the, the tough times, the real tragedies of life, we need not only the promises of God, we need the people of God. And that's why I'm so adamant about you being part of one of our small groups. Not just talking, I'm talking not about just being an attender, I'm talking about you being a member of a family of real friends. Because when a crisis comes, if you don't have those relationships already in place, who's going to hold you up? <laughs> Interesting story. A few years back, Kim and I visited California. It was one of our dreams, and we went out there, and we saw some sequoia trees. We didn't see the ones that we really wanted to see, but the ones we saw were still amazing, and some of the big ones tower well over 300 feet above the ground. But here's what's crazy about those great big sequoias. They have unusually shallow root systems. That seems so weird, doesn't it, because they're reaching out everywhere for water. They want to get a ma major amount of, the most amount of, uh, greatest amount of surface moisture. Now, because of this, you will seldom, almost never see a redwood standing alone. Because if it stood alone, high winds with its great height would take it down, quickly uproot it. That's why they grow in clusters. Because when they grow in clusters, all their roots tie together. And it provides support for one another against the storms God says we need to be like that we need to help one another and strengthen one another when we go through tragedy we need to hold one another up amen that's why you need other people third thing I must refuse when I'm going through a tragedy now you just have to make a decision and you need to refuse to get bitter and it is a choice the Old Testament, there's a really weird book called the Book of Job. You read it sometimes and you'll think it was, and I guarantee you Job thought it was weird when he was going through it. There's this guy named Job who's a godly man, and the Bible starts out telling you how godly he was and that he feared the Lord and revered the world, Lord. Next thing, man, he is going through a tragedy of epic proportions. He's lost everything he had, his house, his lands, his even his children got killed in one day. It, it's unbelievable. And it's a story of his struggle through desperately dark days. And he's searching and crying out to God. And heaven is silent. He's trying to get answers. And he's talking about the different ways that people handle things. And he says this in Job chapter 21, verses 23 through 25. That's Job 21, if you want to write it down, 20, verse 23 and following. He says this. He's puzzled with life. He says, one, one dies in his full strength 
being wholly at ease and secure. His pails are full of milk, and the marrow of his bones is moist. And then in verse 25, he says this, Another man dies in the bitterness of his soul, having never eaten in pleasure. Look at me right here. How tragic it is. How utterly tragic it is when we get so incredibly poisoned by bitterness that we can't even enjoy a meal. And you're going to have to decide when you go through tragedies and disasters, am, seriously, am I going to let this make me a bitter person or a better person? Because you have a choice. It's your choice. But listen to me, you can't have both. You simply cannot have both. You, you can't have bitterness and be better. It just doesn't work. And our, our text from Hebrews when I said it, it says, look carefully, look diligently, lest any of you fall or fail of the grace of God. And then he says this, the second, he's saying, watch out for one another so that you don't fall. And then he says this, lest any root of bitterness springing up troubles you and many be defiled. He's saying, watch out that no bitterness takes root because it causes deep trouble. And a lot of people get hurt. And you got to refuse to be bitter because it only causes problems for you. Now, my wife is better at this than anybody I've ever seen in my life, and I struggle with it. I, I really struggle with it because if I get, you, you tick me off enough time, I just, it, it just, boy, I just get where I'm just like, man, and, and, and I look at her and I say, how can you just, golly, bum, you just forget about it and move on? And uh, you know what? I want to start saying, God, why did you let that happen? God, why did you let that person in my life? God, you know, you hear about the little man that had a little son named Luke, two years old, dad reading him a story. <laughs> Luke, who made the trees? The little two-year-old Luke said, Luke did. His dad said, no, now Luke, you know God made the trees. Who made the mountains, Luke? Luke did. He's just laughing now. It really happened. He said, who... Telling this story about his son, he said, uh, he thinks it's really funny. He said, no, Luke, now God made the mountains. He's trying to teach his son. He asked him, who made the stars, Luke? Luke did. No, Luke, God made the stars. Next morning at breakfast, Luke was sitting down at the table. True story. Spilled his milk, Luke did. Dad came in the room, and of course, like any parent says, who spilled that milk? You know what Luke said? God did. That's right. <laughs> True story. <laughs> Not a joke. <laughs> so typical of human nature, isn't it? Anything good happens in my life? I did it. Look at this. Look at what I did. Look at this car I built. Look at these fish I caught. Look at this benefit and this uh, bonus I earned. Anything bad happens? It's God's fault. God, why did you let this happen to me? You ever notice what insurance companies call an act of God? It's all the bad stuff. <laughs> Tornadoes, hail damage, you know, wind. It's an act of God. We cover everything except the act of God. I'm like, why do I need insurance if it doesn't cover a flood, for heaven's sake? 
You know what the real acts of God are? When a baby's born. When a person is healed. When a marriage is restored. When a family gets back together. That's an act of God. So how do we keep from being bitter when the tragedies of life are coming and they're coming? What's the antidote? Very quick tips, but they're very good. Write them down. If you look at the life of King David in the Old Testament, you'll get it. Number one, there comes a point when we have to just do this. I must accept what cannot be changed. I think I actually put these on your outline. I mean, they're just, you can sit around and ask why and why and why and why. And, and you know, King David in the Old Testament, he, he's committed adultery and he sinned and he's begged God for forgiveness. But he gets the lady pregnant named Bathsheba. She has this baby. Then what happens? The child is sick and David goes into the temple for seven days long, fasting. Didn't eat for seven days, praying. Maybe God will hear my prayers. Maybe God will save this child. David knows he's done wrong. Confessed it before the Lord seven days. Then he hears his servants whispering. And David says, tell me plainly. Because they're saying it's written in the Bible. They're looking at him saying, man, if he's this upset and the child is sick, what's he going to do when we tell him the child has died? Losing a child is an incredible grief. I can't even imagine. What is he going to do? David figures it out and David says, tell me plainly and clearly the child is dead. And they say yes. You know what David does? It's the craziest thing you've ever seen. Gets up off of his face, goes and takes a bath, puts on and takes off his grieving garments. And he had that old rags on and sackcloth and ashes, just grieving before the Lord. Gets up, washes his face. He puts on clean clothes, says, bring me a meal. He eats and he goes back to work. And they say, David, what in the world? Ha, 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 wait. When you, the child was sick, you were grieving. And now the child is dead. And you get up and you go about your business. We thought it'd be the opposite. We thought you'd be worse. Why? You know what David's answer is? While the child was alive, I prayed. For I thought perhaps God might hear my prayer and give the child a chance and let the child live. But now that the child is gone, he shall not return again to me. But I will see him one day. You know what David was really saying? What David was saying, the time for grieving has passed. I can't change it. There's still a kingdom to run and be a part of. Sometimes you have to accept what can't be changed. Now listen to me. Faith is not pretending that everything is great in your life. Faith is not like the movie with Pollyanna on it saying, oh, everything's wonderful, everything's wonderful, when it's not. Faith is facing the facts, but refusing to be defeated by them. You got it? Faith is facing the facts of life and refusing to be defeated by them. That's what real faith is. Lord, I trust you. The only way to overcome some problems, some problems in life is just to accept them and just get on with life. Amen? Now, incidentally the past your past is past it's gone it's past that's why they call it the past can't hurt you unless you allow it to period 
Second thing that I have to do is I have to focus on what's left, not what I've lost. I spoke of my wife earlier. She's the best at doing this I've ever seen. I focus on what's left, not what I've lost. If you spend all your time thinking about what you've lost, you'll never, you'll never, you'll miss so much more that God has for you now. And so you choose to focus on God's goodness. You choose to focus on God's goodness. You know why? You look at the things you have. Now listen to me. Here's why. Because gratitude and depression cannot exist in the same mind and body. You want to get over depression? I'll tell you what to do. Go get proper counseling. Follow your doctor's care. But you also start making a list of the good things in your life. Just make a list. Because you cannot be grateful and depressed at the same time. That's huge right there. That's huge. Follow your doctors. Go get counseling. But start making a list because gratitude and depression cannot exist in the same mind. And the fact is there are people, listen, there are people, I don't care what the worst problem in this building today is, there are people in this world who would love to have your problems. They would absolutely love to have the challenges you have. They're worried today, can I find my child who was just kidnapped? They're worried today, am I even going to get a single bite of food? Are my babies going to have a drink of water or a place to sleep? I complained I had no shoes until I met a man who had no legs. You focus on what's left, not what you've lost. So we're back to the start. You learn to express your grief. You get help from others. You refuse to be bitter. And those are the two ways you do that. And then the closing principle is this. You have to remember it. What's really important in life. Tragedy has a way. Of clarifying values. Hmm? Doesn't it? Real human tragedy has an amazing way of clarifying our values. It points out what really matters and what really doesn't matter. The stuff we worry about and drive ourselves crazy over and obsess over and get depressed over sometimes is not the stuff that's really, really important. If money can solve the problem, it's not one of the real problems of life. We read the verse, Luke chapter 12, verse 15. Jesus said these words, A man's life does not consist in the abundance of things that he owns. Did you get that? Life, now listen to me, Americans. A man's life, a woman's life, does not consist in the abundance of things he owns. Let me give you some real, from time to time in my ministry, you're going to hear me talk about life lessons. That's when it's time to really perk up and get your, because these are things that through years and years of ministry, I know they simply are truths that, will, that everybody has to have. They'll set you free. So, first of all, never confuse your net worth with your self-worth. 
You matter to God regardless of what you have. Secondly, never confuse your possessions with your purpose in life. If you make possessions your purpose, if you live for the purpose of possessions, you're going to be in deep, deep weeds. Thirdly, never confuse <laughs> what you're living on with what you're living for. You got it? Why? Because a man's life doesn't consist of what he possesses. When we go through difficulties and tragedies, one of the positives is this. As hard as it is, it really does help you define what really matters in life. And here's what you find when you go through a life-threatening illness. Here's what you find when you go through the loss of a child, the loss of a relationship, all this sort of stuff, is that the greatest things in the world are not things. You know what really matters? You know what really matters? You know some of you are about to forsake a relationship for some things. Let me tell you, things aren't what matters. It's relationships that matter. I've, I've sat by the bedside in 25 years of ministry, many a dying man, many a dying woman, some rich, some poor. I'm going to tell you all different sizes, shapes, colors, you name it. I'm serious. I will guarantee you this. I will promise you this. Never once. And I've held their hand as they took their last and dying breath. And you know what? Nobody's ever said, oh, bring me my awards. Bring me my trophies. Bring me my medals. Bring me, bring me my, 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 my bank statement. But I can't tell you how many times I've sat with people who said, I don't want anybody else near me. Just bring my family. Just get my wife. Just get my son here. Haven't seen him in years. They cry out, we all do in our last times, because there's nothing else to worry about. There's no reason to worry about how clean the house is or how dirty it is or anything else. You know what? How big it is and whether what the neighbors have. You just want the dearest relationships near you to be with you. Because that's what matters. Our relationship to God I've had many people say, Pastor, I've wasted my life. Tell me about God. I'm about to meet him. I want to know him. Our relationship to others. Bring me my wife and my kids. Call my brother. Now, because not a one of us in this building are promised one more day. We're not even promised today. And all of us, every single one of us are going to need God and we're going to need others in our lives. Because tragedy comes and we can make it together, but we will not make it alone. So there's you some great practical help to remember this week. Amen? That's how God's word is as fresh as the morning paper for your life. I encourage you to take it out of here and live it. Let's pray.
And while we're here and while the moment is just kind of real fresh for us and maybe God's spirit is speaking, <clears throat> is there somebody here, I'm sure there is, some, some grief that you need to express to God? Here's how it will manifest itself. You're still mad at him. It may be fresh. It may be decades old from your childhood. Are you mad at him? Are you mad at the Lord? It's okay. He can handle it. He loves you. Go to him and say, Lord, I'm, I'm mad at you. I don't like the fact that you've let this happen. And God, I have grieved it for years or I'm grieving it now. But God, I'm asking you. I just want you to know, Lord, I'm grieving and I need your help with this. Express it to God. Do you need to get help from others? A lot of you have been coming on Sunday mornings. That's good. That's great. I'm glad. But do you, do you need help from others? A Sunday school class. Do you, w would you need to see a counselor? I know a great Christian counselor. You can come talk to me. In a moment when we have the invitation, you can come forward and say, Pastor, I need to talk. I need some help. I need a Sunday school class. You can write it on your response card, the welcome card. Put it on the back. Write the words Sunday school class, Sunday school class. And we will contact you with an age-appropriate group of people. You can try, and we always say this, experiment. If you go to one class and it's not for you, that's fine. Just try another one. Is bitterness taking hold in your life? Maybe you could pray, Lord, I, I refuse. Uh, today I drive it down. I realize I've been getting bitter but I refuse that in the name of Jesus. And Lord, today I can't change that thing that happened. And I just accept that it has happened. And I'm not going to let it make me bitter. I'm going to accept it. And then I want you to begin to focus on what you have left. Rather than what you've lost. Do you need to do that? Stop looking way behind you in the past. Look right immediately around you at the people that you have. Begin to love them more. Spend time with them. They miss you, by the way. Father, we pray right now that your Holy Spirit would move during this hour and that our hearts would be set free, our minds would be renewed. As we're brought back to the truths of your word today, speak to us, change us, help us to be better and help us to handle the tragedies and difficult times of life better because we're applying your word in our lives. In Jesus name, amen.